Please, can you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, if you have a Bible with you? Luke chapter 11, we'll be reading in a moment the first 13 verses. As uh, you're turning there, I'd like to just ask you a couple of questions. If there was one lesson that you would like to learn from Jesus, what would it be? there's one lesson, one thing you could learn directly from Jesus, what would that one thing be? We learn many things from him. But if there were one, what would it be? A similar question, if there were one gift that your heavenly Father could give you, one gift, what would that be? What would you ask for? If you could guarantee You'd receive one gift from your Father in heaven. What would you ask for? Now, let me ask a question similar to it. If you were to ask your Father in heaven, what is the one lesson I need to learn? What is the one lesson I need to learn? What do you think he'd say? And if you were to ask your Heavenly Father, what is the one gift I need to receive? What is the one gift I need to receive? What would he say? And how similar are the answers to the questions? What you said to start with, I would really like to learn and receive, and what you think God would really like you to learn and to receive. So the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today addresses these questions. And so therefore, it's quite an exciting thing, isn't it, to consider that? It's addressing these questions. The lesson that we need to learn and the gift that we most need to receive. And we have a Father in heaven who's exceedingly generous and good and desiring to teach us the lesson we need to learn, and to give us the gift we need to receive. So let's read Luke 11, verses 1 through to 13 together. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up 
and give him anything. Because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You know us so very much better than we know ourselves. And Father, we have a a sense of our needs here this morning. We have a sense of the things that we would love to see a breakthrough in in our lives. And you know what we think those areas are. But I thank you that we don't come to a Father who is stingy, tight-fisted, cruel, and unkind, lacking in generosity. We come to one who is the generous person the one who is so good, the one who knows us so well. And we thank you that you have the greatest gift for us to receive today. So, Father, I pray, would you please pour your Holy Spirit upon us? Would you please come and move among your people? Oh, Lord, how this nation needs a move of your Holy Spirit. How desperately dry and barren this land is. And I thank you that there is a river that flows from heaven that brings life. Let that river flow. And may it flow through the midst of our gathering here today for your glory. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the end of chapter 10, we have this moment when Jesus is in Mary and Martha's house, and there's a bit of a dispute that takes place between Martha and Mary. Martha's working really hard, and Mary is sat at Jesus' feet, and she's just plying him with questions, and she's seeking to, to understand from him about God and the things of God, and and Jesus says to Martha, Mary's chosen the best thing, and I'm not going to take it from her. The best thing, as it were, to be sat at Jesus' feet and to be listening to him, to be hearing his words, to be allowing his words to be sown deeply into our hearts, to know that his words bring life and change and, and love. And that, in a sense, is our privilege here today. It's at the feet of Jesus that we're sat, and it's his words that we need to hear. It's why we read the Bible, this is his word to us, and it's why we should have confidence as we are in the presence of Jesus Christ himself, and as we're listening to his words speak to us, 
that they would come and they bring change and hope and life and love to us. So this scene starts out, he was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I'm imagining the disciples watching him, doing what he so often did. Amazed as they watch him pray. Amazed that the the life-giving thing that it is for Jesus, how Jesus seems to just love praying, how he seems to find great delight and joy in praying, how utterly committed he is to praying. And they're watching him praying, and and they say, would you teach us to pray? Now, if if you happen to have the opportunity to spend time with an expert in a particular field, if you happen to be with a genius in some particular field, if you were with the greatest singer, if you were having a couple of weeks with Mary Berry... If you were like, you would say, can you teach me how to make a great pavlova? You would say, can you teach me? How do I cook like you? You would say, can you teach me how to, how do I, uh, if you were with a great, uh, if you're with Bear Grylls, how do I I know what to eat when I'm out on the field and what not to? How do I know what's edible? What do I look for? Is this mushroom edible? You would ask questions because you know they've got experts insight. And so the disciples, as they're watching Jesus, they ask him, we want to pray like you pray. Would you teach us? I love watching you pray, Jesus. There's something about the way you pray which is so attractive, and I want to pray like you pray. What an amazing thing that is. Don't see the disciples asking this question elsewhere. You You find them here asking that question. What's the one thing you would want to learn from Jesus? I think to see Jesus pray, that would be the one thing you'd want to learn as well. When you see someone praying and you see their face lit up and you see see joy and you see the presence of God. And so through Luke's gospel, we're finding over and over references to Jesus praying. I'm just going to read a a couple to you. Luke 5, verse 15 to 16. The news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet, he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Chapter 6, verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and spent all night in prayer to God. He comes down and he chooses his disciples. Chapter 9, verse 18. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Hugely significant moment in the Gospels. He's in a private place. He's praying. It's like he's prompted. Now's the time to go and ask him the question. Then we turn over into, well, I turn over. You might not need to. Verses 28 to 29 of chapter 9. 
About eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. This is the transfiguration. The transfiguration happens in the context of going up to the mountain to pray. And then Luke 22, we find Jesus in the hours before his crucifixion. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, as usual. This is his rhythm, this is his habit, this is his practice. Goes to the mountain, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. In his moment of agony and suffering and pain in the garden, what does Jesus do? He prays. He prays. And he is clearly weakened in the exercise of praying, and so angels come to him. And you think, well, they come to strengthen him, so he will feel a little brighter and better, perhaps. That's not what happens. We're told that he prayed even more fervently, and in his anguish, he, drew, he sweat drops of blood. The agony got even more intense after he was strengthened. What did the strengthening help him achieve then? It helps him to pray more fervently. Do you find that when you're in a place of grief and anguish and pain and suffering, isn't prayer such a comfort and such a help? And Jesus models this to us so perfectly. Jesus loved to pray. And prayer wasn't just something that Jesus turned to when he was in his moment of anguish. It was his habit. It's what he did. He went off and he prayed. The crowds would gather. He would heal them. But he knew he needed to go and find a private space, a quiet place. For Jesus, his space was up on the mountain. Great choice. Up on the mountain as he's looking across and he's seeing the creation, maybe in a quiet spot, in a private mountainside space, he prayed. When you think of prayer, do you see it like that? Your privilege to go and spend time quietly, privately, with your God who hears you. Jesus models prayer, and it's what the disciples wanted to learn most from him. Teach us how to pray. Now, how would he teach them to pray? 
what would be the first thing that he would say to them? And so let's look at verse 2. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. Now, up and down this country, how many millions of people with great ease could just recite the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I mean, you don't have to be a committed Christian even to know that prayer. And admittedly, there are probably much fewer people in 2023 who can recite the prayer than in 2053. What did I just do? I jumped ahead. Was that prophetic? 1953. I was like, that's not right. Hey, I hope it wasn't prophetic, amen? I hope that in 2053, many, many, many more people than now can recite the Lord's Prayer. Amen? <laughs> my, my point is that it's a very familiar prayer, isn't it? And it just flows off the tongue. But what we can miss, given how familiar we are with it, is that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray like this, it was utterly, utterly transformational and radical to them. You see, Jesus says, not just occasionally when you pray, he says, whenever you pray, you say, Father. That is distinctly the privilege of a Christian. To say, Father. Now, maybe it's easy to speak the words with your lips, but for it to come from deep within your heart, I love that contribution Aaron brought. There was a moment in his contribution when he said, Oh, Father, that is the cry of the Spirit within a person, empowering them to pray. That is what Jesus is teaching here. When you pray, say, Father. And that word that Jesus spoke over and over when he prayed, over and over, the literal sound from his lips would have been, Abba. So if you were to sneak up to Jesus as he was about to start praying, this is what you would hear. First words out of his mouth. Abba. Abba. Think about it. Literally, those would be the sounds. Abba. And it's, it's this expression of a son, a child, to his father, which is intimate, affectionate, relational. We can take these things for granted because we're privileged to be a spirit-filled people. And we know when we pray, we can pray Heavenly Father, but I don't want us to grow familiar with that. And I want us to, I mean, how many of us would say, oh yeah, we've learned how to pray now, we've got that nailed. I mean, the, the longer I've been a Christian, the more aware I am of how much more I'd like to pray like Jesus. And how much more I feel I need to learn. I love that he just went, I'm just gonna pray all night. When Jesus was tired, he withdrew himself to pray. It comes to a Sunday evening and we've got a prayer meeting and we're like, I'm too tired tonight. I, that's how I feel often. 
I'm tired. Jesus was like, I'm tired. I'm going to pray. He said to his disciples, why are you sleeping? You should be praying. Because there is power in prayer and there is, there is a glory in prayer that we've barely scraped the surface of. Do you believe that? That there is so much more glory for you to know in prayer than you've ever known. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. So why, why am I, why are we often on the back foot? If you knew that as you prayed, your Father in heaven guaranteed to do, to respond, to act. That when you pray, you speak to the one who has all power and all authority. You, you speak to the one who is over the whole creation. The one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why wouldn't you pray all the time if that one hears you? Is it because maybe we doubt his goodness? Is it because maybe we doubt his generosity? Is it maybe because we doubt even our motives as we come to pray? I think that's likely. I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, help me in my doubts. I know you're good, help my deceived notions that you're not. I know that you're generous, but yet there's this voice that says you're not always generous. I believe, help my unbelief. I have faith, help my doubt. And Jesus knows that's what we're like. That's why he goes on to give us this illustration. And, he, and, and it's quite clunky in terms of, as I read it out, as you read it, it's a quite clunky the way it's put together. But the essence of what Jesus goes on to do, and I'm not going to go through the, uh, the particulars of the, the, the template prayer, because I feel like what, what I want us to understand is, is Jesus' awareness of the battle that takes place within us that holds us back often from praying. And so he uses this illustration. He says there's a guy and he's, he, he receives a guest late at night. This is a friend of his. This is maybe somebody who has helped him before. And this guy arrives at his door and he's got nothing to eat. Nothing to give him to eat. Now this is a shameful moment for him. This is very awkward. You want to be able to, to offer hospitality. Very important in this culture. And so this guy is eager to do something about it. So he goes to his friend, and he knocks on his door. And this guy opens the window, and he yells out, and he says, I've gone to bed, and so have my kids. I've finally got the kids down, and you're hammering on the door. Go away. And, and, and Jesus says, his shameless boldness, his shameless boldness, he keeps going. He knocks, he knocks, he knocks. He makes, a, he makes this scene. He, he's loud. He's insistent. He's not accepting no for an answer. And this friend in the end says, oh, fine. He gives him what he needs. What's Jesus teaching us here? He's like, well, okay, let's say worst case scenario. 
the one you're asking something of is a little tired, is a little grouchy, is a little stingy. Even if that's the case, if you just keep going, you'll get what you need in the end or what you want in the end. But your Father in heaven is nothing like that. Nothing like that. He loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you ask of him. He loves it when you beseech him. When you say, Father, I need you. I need a breakthrough. I need you to provide. And so he goes on and he reiterates this. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Is Jesus a liar? Does Jesus only speak words of truth? Okay, let's read this again. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's a promise. It's a promise. Seek, ask, knock. And the order is you start by asking. And it's like this, with the door, it's like this, I'm asking for a house. I'm asking for a home. Please give me a home. I'm now seeking for it. Where is it? Where is the answer to this request? Ah, there it is. I'm now knocking. And I enter in. What's the tension in this parable for you? Is there a tension here? Have you ever asked God for something and he's not given it to you? Did you ever seek for something and you didn't find it? Did you knock on a door and it didn't open? If any one of you here has ever prayed for anything, then you'll probably say yes to that. That's the tension, isn't it, in this passage? So we need to resolve this tension, don't we? Because either Jesus is a liar, and we know he's not. It's impossible for him to lie. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what's the tension? Let me ask you another question. Are you grateful that some of the things you ask God for, he didn't give you? Yeah. Do you have complete and utter confidence in your ability to discern what is right for you? How many of you who are parents give what your child asks for every time they request it? Okay, so we're getting closer to resolving the tension And yet Jesus is saying, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. There's something about the asking and the seeking, the process. There's something about understanding that the end is one thing, the means is another. So I grew up, in my family, we would, growing up as kids, we would, we'd love to go for country walks. We'd go for country walks all the time. My mum and dad are all about getting to the end. 
So they plow through, they march through, and they just keep going, and we're very quick. We're, we're pacing through the walk. We're enjoying it, but really it's about achieving, getting to the end. One of the things my wife has taught me is slow down a bit on a walk. Take in what's happening. Enjoy the journey a little bit more. Because what often happens is Lizzie's there with the four kids, and I'm like half a mile down the track. <laughs> I'm gone. Tim, come back. We're a family. Let's do this together. So Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis. Do you remember that story? He wrestled with God. And he said, I won't let go until you bless me. It's a strange story, isn't it? This morning I was reading in 1 Samuel chapter 1 the account of Hannah. Hannah who is desperate for a child, longing for a child. I'm just going to read it to you because it's so relevant to this passage we're looking at. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and do not forget me and give your servant a son and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Do you ever pray like that? You're feeling something so deeply, you haven't quite got the words to speak out what you're feeling, and yet you're in this prayer state before God. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. Here's the thing. Our God has the power in an instant to do the particular thing we're asking of him. In an instant. And so we have to ask God sometimes, why aren't you breaking through in the way that I'm wanting you to, to break, break through in? But he's drawing you nearer to him. He's working through the struggle, through the wrestle, as you bring your anguish. What is the purpose of prayer, ultimately? To give us what we want all the time? I once heard this, I read this excellent illustration of prayer, and, uh, and, and it was this. Imagine that you're in a, an inflatable boat or a dinghy, and, and you cast a hook onto the beach. As you pull, are you moving the island or the beach closer to you, or are you moving your dinghy closer to the beach? Obviously, the answer is I'm moving the, 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 the boat closer. And so it is with prayer. I'm not trying to bend God's will to mine. How can, I, how can I do that? But with every prayer, I'm being drawn closer and closer and closer to him. 
And so let's see how this continues. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He knows the anxieties and the doubts that that are within us, right? This is why he's illustrating it this way. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, this is the phrase I love, how much more, right? How much more? What a thrill it is to be able to give someone you love a gift you know they're going to really enjoy, You like to do those things because you're a little bit like God. But you're still not perfectly like him. But he's perfectly generous. And he delights to give good gifts to his children. Loves to do it. How much more? You have to understand that the God that you pray to, your Father in heaven, is the God of the much, much, much more. So that when you come to him with any request, he has much, much more for you. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's the one gift that you need What's the one gift you need from your Father in heaven above all others? What's the one gift that you need? What's the one gift that your Father in heaven thinks you need? It's just curious how this passage ends. And how might you have filled in that blank if I'd left it blank? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? What you and I need more than anything else is the precious, wonderful, powerful, comforting, counseling, guiding person of the Holy Spirit. And it is by the Holy Spirit that we're able to pray, Abba, Father. Romans 8, verse 15. By him, we pray, Father. And so as the disciples are watching Jesus praying and wondering, how do you pray like that? Here's the key. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to pray like Jesus You need the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that. Otherwise, you'll just go through the motions. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like robots. That's not how Jesus was praying, was it? And when he was in the garden, praying powerful prayers to persevere through the trial ahead of him. And boy, did he persevere through it empowered by the Spirit of God. And if we're to see any change in this nation here, if we're to see a turnaround, it's not because we're going to get the most talented, insightful politicians in cabinet. It's going to be because 
Our Father in heaven pours his Holy Spirit upon this nation in such a powerful and profound way that you just can't help to take notice of it. And we find men and women on their knees pleading and praying and pursuing and seeking God. And it is in the place of prayer that the Holy Spirit comes. Did you know that? It's in the place of prayer that the Holy Spirit comes. Luke 3. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized as he was praying. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you praying? Are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Jesus, in the place of prayer, the Holy Spirit comes. This beautiful Trinitarian moment, as this is in Luke 11. And then the disciples in Acts 1, they're in the upper room, and it says that they were constant in prayer. They're praying. What are they praying for? They're praying for the gift that Jesus promised, which was the Holy Spirit. Send your gift, send your gift, send your gift. We're waiting. Send your gift. And then the day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and the church is utterly transformed. Utterly transformed in that moment, in that instant. Are we still waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out? We are not. These are the days where the Spirit of God has been poured out. Are we seeing the power of the Spirit as we would like? No, we're not. But it's not because there's a reluctance from heaven and it's not because there's a moment for us to wait upon like Acts 2. No, the Spirit of God has been poured out. But there is so much more for us to know than we've seen and experienced. Acts 4 verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. As God's people pray, the Holy Spirit moves in power. As God's people pray, Father, the Holy Spirit moves powerfully within us. So if you, if you know you need an answer from God today, pray, ask him, seek, knock, you will find, the door will be opened to you. You will receive the Holy Spirit. It's the gift the Father longs to give us. I might not always get the thing that I want, but I always will receive the gift that I need because it's promised to me. And that's true for you. You may get the thing that you want, but he will give you what you need. And that's why coming to the table seems to me to be an excellent response. Because Jesus came to deal with the need of our sin and the need of our death and the need for resurrection. And by the Spirit of God, his victory is applied to our lives and to our hearts. Why don't we stand? If the band can come.
Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you Abba. We thank you that when we pray, we don't just pray to God in a generic, out there sense. But we we pray to a Father, our Heavenly Father. We pray to one who loves us and is generous and delights to give us what we need. And we thank you that there is no reluctance in heaven when it comes to this request. Oh, that we would know more of your Holy Spirit within us. Father, we're asking for this, our daily bread your precious Holy Spirit within us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and his example. We thank you so much for his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And we thank you, he's alive and sending his spirit to his people today. I pray for those that have never been able to say truly from the depths of their heart, Father, that you would enable that to happen today. That you would enable men and women here today to, for the first time as it were, to really pray, Father. And for those of us that have been praying, Father, in a meaningful way for many years, may we not grow overly familiar with this great privilege. We recognize, Jesus, what it cost you. And we're grateful. We're so grateful. Amen.